two dudes, one microphone, absolutely zero calves. Welcome to Team No Cabs Radio with your hosts, Ali and Adam. Hello, good afternoon here in the UK, if you're listening abroad, which I doubt very highly. But my name is Ollie Carson, and I'm here today with my good friend and colleague, Adam. Yeah, hello. Uh, actually, as well, we've said good afternoon, but some people could be listening to this on playback. So maybe good morning, good night. Good uh, evening. Let's get it all covered. Yeah, Chris- happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> if there's people listening back to this at Christmas, then we're doing something right, so I'm happy with that. Um, but the first thing that we want to get um, established today is just what this podcast is going to be about because this is the first episode in a long series, hopefully, of informative information on all things training and nutrition. Um, Adam and I recently started our own massing and cutting program uh, known as uh, Built by Brown and a Condition with Carson. And we just absolutely love educating the guys in our program um, on all things training and nutrition. We thought it would be a great platform to share with uh, the general public as well, um, some training and nutritional tips. That's it. So um, obviously everyone who's part of the Bilber Brown Condition with Carson Facebook group will have had some kind of, um, I guess, communication with us. Um, obviously everyone who's on the program themselves will be getting one-to-one coaching with us, but we wanted to actually do something to a kind of wider audience. Um, so not only just to obviously make people aware of us and what we do, um, but also just to give some you know decent information, um, some kind of in the trenches experience stuff that we've gone through, um, and also just give us a little platform to you know talk and uh, kind of implement and and speak about the things that we've kind of learned along the way. So it helps keep us accountable to to keeping our development of knowledge, um, but also gives us somewhere that we can actually kind of pass that on. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Adam, but me personally, I'm I'm a massive advocate of listening to uh, podcasts to sharpen my tools, as it were. Um, you know, we do our sort of social media posts where we post up cool pictures or videos and we attach some, some text to that, but not everybody takes information in that way. And so this is a great way of, of taking something on board if you're doing your morning cardio, if you're in the car on the way to work. So hopefully you enjoy it and we're going to be doing many more like this. And today we're going to be talking about fat loss common mistakes. Um, so things that people often do or don't do in a fat loss phase um, that we can hopefully clear up and shed some light on. Yeah, so typically when um, people start talking about like common mistakes they see with fat loss, <laughs> the majority of it seems to stem around um, kind of calorie intake itself. Um, so mainly kind of the, the completely, I guess, data-driven points of, of it in terms of just calories in versus calories out. They'll usually speak about people adhering to a diet maybe five days a week, being restrictive, and then messing it up at the weekend. But to be honest, that's um, been beaten to death, that topic. Um, we wanted to go a little bit more outside the box uh, with things that we have found between us. Um, Ollie and I have worked with over 600 people. Um, that's just in the last year alone. So we've seen quite a lot of common things occur time and time again. Um, we've had things that have obviously happened in our own preps for different things like shows and shoots um, that obviously we can really pick up on and uh, you know, have really given us kind of good experience with 
um, do's and don'ts and just common common mistakes people tend to make. So, uh, Ollie, do you want to kick us off with maybe one of the first ones that you can think of? Yeah, and um, the first one that I'm going to start with, Adam, is uh, the time frame. And this is particularly um, prevalent in physique competitors, so bodybuilders or you know men's physique athletes or bikini athletes who who want to step on stage. <laughs> and in particular, these guys that are doing it for the first time. So when we talk about time frame, the issue that we usually come across is just not actually allowing enough time at all. So if you've never been in stage condition before, and you don't know what your you know your stage weight might be, for example, um, and you give yourself a time frame of let's call it you know anywhere between eight and fourteen weeks is the kind of general sort of prep length that I usually see. I'm not about not not so sure about you, but that's the kind of the general ballpark figure that I see. And um, I mean, more often than not, it's just not enough time. And there's a couple of reasons for that, really. Um, one is you're probably a bit more out of shape than you perhaps let yourself off for. Um, and if you've never been in stage condition before, then like I say, you don't really have a datum point on a number that you're reaching for. So I would give yourself as much time as possible if you're, if you're prepping for a photo shoot or a competition. And one of the other problems that we run into is, um, especially if you're a beginner in this kind of this area, is um, just hiccups along the way. So giving into cravings, um, not being used to just how difficult a dieting phase can actually be, um, not allowing for things like um, drops in activity levels and, and actually reducing calorie expenditure. Um, all these kind of little things can accumulate into to big setbacks along your, your fat loss phase. Um, and so the best thing that you can do is just give yourself more than enough time to get in shape for a competition. Yeah, what's, I mean, um, commonly, Ollie, what do you tend to find in terms of when people kind of think of a stage weight, um, what, what stage weight do you tend to find that they actually are? So how much can you kind of take off of the amount that generally someone thinks their stage weight is gonna be? Oh, right, so you, you kind of, you mean, um, what's the kind of, the 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 gap in between where they think yeah. they should be and what they actually are. Yeah. Um, the one that I, I mean, that's hard to put a very sort of specific number on, but people are usually about 10 pounds off minimum. Yeah. Like literally 10 pounds is easily mistaken for enough weight. And um, yeah. it, until you've been in stage condition, you really don't know. And that's a really powerful tool once you've done it before is having that, like I said, that datum point to kind of aim your prep around but if you haven't done it before then just really offset more than enough time to get in shape yeah that's it i definitely that kind of 10 pounds is i would think a, a pretty decent average um i think across the board it's a pretty pretty standard amount that that people need to take off what they think their stage weight is going to be yeah um i think the main issue that people tend to to have is they they start thinking they get the kind of prep brain and they start thinking they're getting skinny um, yeah. and and not actually realizing that the, you know if, if they're looking skinny it's because probably they've not built enough tissue to start with yeah um, and thus they're not actually ready to jump on stage yet um, but you know I mean you've only got to look at kind of the top natural bodybuilders so you're looking at like Alberto Nunes um, you're obviously looking at, at Jamie when he's at his stage weight mm -hmm. and you'll see pictures of these guys absolutely you know shredded out their brains but they've been there before they've been 
at their absolute, you know, kind of peak of condition on stage, mm. and they know that they're, they're, you know, ten pounds or seven pounds or whatever short of stage weight. And obviously, these are the guys that are the sort of top guys that have been doing this for quite a few years. So, for you to be going into say like a first show or, or shoot or whatever, and trying to gauge your weight, you know, generally you're going to have to take a little bit off of that weight. And obviously, if you do come in and you are heavier and you do actually get to that condition, then then great, but certainly people need to give themselves more time. And as you spoke about, you know, generally that means that a lot of people need to kind of perhaps, you know, even double um, the time they're going to spend in a prep mm. uh, from what they typically think they're going to be in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point of um, people dieting down and then perhaps realizing that actually they don't have as much tissue as they as they thought they did. And that's a whole entire another subject in itself. You know, are you actually ready to to step on stage. Um, if you're a, a new lifter, so if you're a young, a young um, weightlifter, and you haven't been lifting for more than sort of four or five years, then unless you're a bit of a, a genetic anomaly, then I, I would suggest that probably you should take some more time off and, and actually make the most of the momentum that you get in your younger lifting years um, and really kind of capitalize on those quote unquote newbie gains and just, just put on some tissue and there's not a rush. The stage is always going to be there. What we see more often than not now is guys jumping into competitions and they get in this horrible, horrible rut that can really lead to, you know, issues with, with food and all kinds of eating disorders and um, image disorders from jumping from stage to stage with not much muscle at all. And, uh, you know, just enjoy training, enjoy, enjoy your nutrition. And it is a great challenge, but be really honest with yourself are you ready to compete but that's a whole another mm. entire subject altogether yeah. i think you know so i guess getting back down to um kind of obviously making it because we're talking about time frames of um kind of fat loss phases and, and things like that um you know we were saying about those 8 10 12 sort of 14 week and and they tend to be kind of packages that are sold mm. um for yeah, specific sort of time periods um now the interesting thing about that is it kind of stemmed, I think, originally from, um, I guess, steroid cycles that yeah. were ran with people. Um, that would be a typical kind of length of a cycle that people would be doing. And their sort of prep that their bodybuilding coaches would sell to them would be based on that. Now, obviously, we're all natural coaches. Um, we coach natural bodybuilders. We coach natural physique athletes. And so if you're a natural athlete, that shouldn't really be something you should be kind of considering in terms of, okay, a fat loss phase needs to be, you know, this long, this long, or this long. It's all going to be very individual. And um, I guess uh, in terms of finding out the best kind of, or how long your, your fat loss phase should be, Typically, what I think you should do is get someone who is is uh, very experienced in the industry, um, someone who's competed before, to have a look at your physique and be able to figure out what they think would be a pretty kind of good guideline of your stage weight. Mm. Um, and then you can kind of reverse engineer back from that how much you should be looking to lose and thus how long your prep should be. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's great that you, you picked up again on that, that kind of... Um, the whole steroid cycle and where that eight to 12 week kind of number just, it's like we just plucked it out of the sky. And especially if, like Adam was saying, if you're a, a natural athlete um, and you you just only have to look at the best natural athletes in the sport and the kind of prep periods that they they kind of adhere to, um, 
you know, the guys like Alberto Nunez, Jeff Alberts, they're all kind of over 30, close to 40 weeks sometimes uh, dieting for a competition. And they're giving themselves enough time to retain as much muscle mass as possible, to make the whole process as less strenuous as possible, and to ensure that they get in the appropriate condition for the stage. Um, so just kind of throw this eight to 14 week random number out of the window is what I would say. So that's definitely some, some sound advice for if you're considering jumping on a, com a comp competitive stage. Yeah, and I think um, as well, like a lot of people will let the date of the show kind of dictate how extreme they approach their kind of um, fat loss phase. Now, if you've never dieted to show sort of stage condition before, I don't think just picking a, a show that's on the horizon out of the out of the air and then just going right that's what i'm prepping towards is actually i think that's a bit of an ass backwards way of doing things yeah definitely um because you don't know how long it's going to take you to get mm -hmm. to stage condition and i think the worst thing that i see quite a lot is guys jumping on stage sort of not in the condition yeah, yeah and then it gives them a kind of scarred um i guess you know kind of experience of the mm. whole thing especially when it's their first show yeah um and you know there's a lot of people that get will get put off for life when in reality it was just a case of you know they they didn't know what what kind of time frame they needed yeah. and thus they let themselves be rushed into that sort of fat loss phase yeah and you know what i think the thing is adam is that people do pick these dates for shows and it's it's a huge huge accountability tool and adherence tool to say right this is the date that i'm going to get on stage but you're going to be far better off setting a ballpark figure and just just being committed to the process. You don't need an exact date to get on stage because I understand that's why a lot of people do it, right? So they just kind mm -hmm. of say, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna book myself onto this show and then I have to do my cardio, I have to do my diet. And I, I do get that, but yeah. don't put that, that kind of unneeded pressure on yourself, um, especially like, like we, were we were speaking about, you, you just don't know how long it's gonna take yeah. you to get into that condition. I think for first time competitors, you're much better off actually doing, booking a photo shoot first mm. before deciding you're gonna jump on stage because um, not only does it give you a chance to actually learn from your mistakes in a way that you can actually account for so you can push this, the date of a, a yeah. shoot back. You can't push the date of a show back. No, that's it. Um, You're turning up with blurry abs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is it, exactly. And it's like, uh, you know, you can always push a shoot back and then when eventually you do approach that shoot, if you are in, in obviously what you think is show condition, you can just obviously enter a show, you know, on the day for most federations. The shows, so. are, the shows are always going to be there, guys, always. Yeah, definitely. So kind of moving on, what's, what's you know, some other ones that you see? Um, so in terms of common mistakes that I see with um, fat loss phases, another massive one is um, overemphasizing cardio. So if you want to touch on that, Adam. Yeah, um, it's funny the cardio thing because it really comes from experience with me um, because I used to work a very sedentary job. Um, I used to be sat, sat on my ass sort of eight to 10 hours a day. Um, I'd go to the gym at the end of that and I would you know, do, do my, uh, my bicep curls, <laughs> yeah. do my, my pec flies, um, bang all that out. I would probably you know, glance at legs on the way past <laughs> and then obviously finish off with uh, one set of calf no, raises. no calves, <laughs> team no calves. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was essentially kind of the, the workout strategy. And then I would go and do uh, HIT because apparently HIT was going to burn 900% more fat and thus <laughs> I could do 15 minutes of HIT at the end of a session. Yeah. 
And uh, I would wonder why I wasn't losing any weight on 2,400 calories a day when, you know, someone I knew who worked uh, kind of a, a more labor-intensive job was, was dropping in on 3,000. Mm. And I just assumed, well, I'm just not doing enough cardio. So <laughs> the cardio, that's the it. Bit. Up the cardio, get it in fasted, you know, make sure I was doing it before breakfast because that would definitely help. Um, <laughs> and, and I'd be doing, you know, six to seven sessions of cardio a week and thinking, why is it not dropping? Mm. And and this was because I was really, really overemphasizing the role that, that that cardio was playing. So what was happening was, you know, I might go do that cardio and, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of hit, um, even if you are working particularly hard, you're probably not gonna burn much more than 250 to 300 calories. Now, essentially I would go do that, I might batter myself for 20 minutes doing that, and then I'd sit down for the next two hours because I was so beaten up from yeah. it and I thought I deserved it. Um, and in, in actuality, if I'd have just say, you know, for that sort of hour, you know, that I would have been there at the gym doing my cardio, if I'd have just been like tidying up in my house or whatever and that, I'd probably burn 150 calories just doing that. I wouldn't be so knackered from that. I might decide to go out for a walk or I might decide to, to just be a little bit more active and, and not sit down and slump in front of the sofa. And in actuality, I would have burned more calories over that day yeah. than just from sitting on my ass all day, going to do some cardio, and then you know going back home to sit on my ass. And I think this is this is the thing. People really, really overemphasize cardio yeah. um, over just actually increasing their general activity each day. Um, because you know a good session of cardio might only burn 400 calories, but sitting down on your ass would have probably burned 100. So in reality, you've only burned 300 more, or you know 400 yeah. more than what you actually think you have. And that, and that's it. And that's the the two main problems that I have with the overemphasis of cardio is one that you touched on was the kind of the knock on effect of what those cardio sessions have on your your daily activity levels is like you said you know you smash out a round of hit training absolutely blowing out your ass and do nothing for the rest of the day because you're so tired and you know you, you put it perfectly if you hadn't have done that you might have moved a bit more subconsciously you might have gone for a walk and had more calorie expenditure not so many um, detrimental effects to your your later sessions because hit training can be really strenuous on especially you know on the legs if you're doing something like hit training on the bike and then you you train legs the next day it's going to be suboptimal for your performance in the gym um, and the other issue I have with the overemphasis of cardio is just that it's not as trackable as our caloric intake. So mm. when it comes to making these adjustments and we, we experience these inevitable weight loss plateaus um, and we need to make adjustments to carry on a fat loss, you just upping cardio is just not as measurable as reducing caloric intake. And obviously it's going to be quite subjective on the individual. You know, I've... Um, you know, I pre my, one that springs to mind is my client James, really short sedentary guy, um, sits at the desk all day, nothing to him, he's like four foot and a fag butt, like he's really, <laughs> really short, he's got a, a decent amount of muscle mass, yeah. um, but his caloric intake just had to be so low for him to get lean, and he did get lean, but we just had to pay so much attention to his output, and we did that through paying attention to his needs, so his non-exercise activity thermogenesis, so how many steps he was he was doing a day, making sure that he was moving every hour, making sure that he was keeping himself active um, because that was gonna be more advantageous as a tool than reducing his already non-existent calories. Yeah, so yeah. it is kind of subjective on the individual, but for the general population who just want some fat loss, 
like cardio should be the last thing that you're considering, especially if you're just starting out. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that, say, you know, someone who's, say, 200, 200, 220 pounds, they really don't need a lot of cardio, no. you know? Just getting them to do, you know, I know the recommendation is 10,000 steps a day. It's an easy number to pick out. But just getting them to do something like that, obviously get, you know, some intense, decent strength training in them. And then just getting them to be really adherent to their diet is going to drop them in until they get to their their actual um, their goal. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's going to be plateaus along the way. There always is, but it's going to get them there. You know, cardio should be that that last drop in the bucket. You don't really really need that. Um, however, as you said, it's you know it can be obviously subjective to the individual. So a woman who weighs a hundred pounds and is very sedentary. You know, she doesn't have a lot of calories to play with. Okay, maybe upping her output is going to be the only way of doing things, really. But you still have to be making it trackable and you still have to make it manageable because if she's doing so much cardio that she's sat down the rest of the day, yeah. you know, and this is what you find with women who, who are like, oh, I'm going running six days a week and I'm on mm-hmm. 1,400 calories and the weight's just not coming off, is you find them just not moving when they're not doing cardio they're not moving and and then obviously they're getting so hungry from the amount of cardio and this is one of the other big things is is the the hunger factor when it comes Mm. to cardio i mean uh how many people do you know i mean i know plenty of people who've done a marathon and in their training for their marathon they've gained weight because they're just fueling these workouts that are ridiculous yeah so their hunger hormones are through the roof and this is it you know when you do a, a shit ton more output in the form of cardio, there are going to be knock-on effects, and hunger is one of the biggest ones. Mm. Now, if you could just actually cut out that middleman and just actually reduce caloric intake um, without the need to go and hammer yourself with a bunch of cardio and instead just go and do some light-intensity walks, um, you know, I, I can't see how that's not um, a kind of a more beneficial solution in the long term. Yeah, when you, when you say it out loud like that, so like we're dieting, we're incredibly hungry. I know, let's do something that makes me more hungry. Yeah. It just sounds ridiculous, right? But we, we just, the thing is, these, these are kind of isms that have been you know, told to us in the media for, for years. Um, if, you, if you wanna burn fat, then do sprint training. And you know, it's, it's very easy to slip into that trap, but just take a much more logical approach to training and nutrition, especially where fat loss is involved. Um, you don't need to spend hours on a treadmill doing cardio making yourself hungrier yeah and actually uh just a good kind of reference for, for people listening a, a great guy to look into for this especially when it comes to like um general activity increases and things like that um a guy called james Cro- uh, krieger um it's weightology uh, is his website but he's kind of the leading leading research when it comes to neat and general activity and how it all kind of has a a role in in dieting and fat loss so he's definitely someone to check out if you want to know a little bit more about this there we go we'll, we'll link the uh, description to the the website in in the description there um so the next one that we're going to move on to is this idea and you you've come up with this one adam the idea of a perfect macro split yeah so it's it's funny because um I see it all the time on you know a lot of the forums um a lot of the different kind of posts you see go up is I'll see it on Instagram sometimes and someone will be like, oh, you know, I, I just decided to uh, take take my, my fats down by 5%, not my calorie, uh, my carbs by 5%, and I can't believe, you know, how much I, I'm changing in it, yeah. you know, what difference it's made to my body. Yeah. 
and you know like in the kindest possible way it's, it's bullshit yeah. you know energy balance is still exactly it, the same exactly you know yeah. they're taking in the same calories but they're just adding in 20 grams more carbs and they've dropped out you know five grams of fat yeah. or whatever yeah. um and uh and they think it's going to make a huge difference mm. and and in reality there's no there's no perfect macro split out there yeah. you know you the perfect macro split is just the one that makes you most adherence to that that yeah, calorie exactly. intake, um, and that's why if someone's looking for a perfect you know macro split, I'll just say to them, well, do you like carbs or do you like fat, you know like <laughs> yeah. do you like eating carbs or do you like eating a high fat diet? And whatever their preference is is going to drive what kind of targets we set them. But I mean that you've only got to look at any any of the kind of studies comparing high fat diets versus um, high carbohydrate diets. When calories and protein are equated, you know, there's just no statistically st- mm. significant difference between the results that each group gets. That's it. Um, and, and this is, you know, really does fly in the face of that idea that there's some sort of perfect macro split for someone. Yeah, everyone's looking for that that kind of golden nugget where fat loss is concerned. And the thing is, is like you say, Adam, is where, you know, protein obviously is important um, and fats to an extent where we consider kind of hormonal responses um, but as long as that energy balance is in a caloric deficit, whether that's a mixture of you know your output, like we spoke about, and your caloric intake, you're going to lose. You're going to be losing body fat, and that's it's unfortunate because we have so many camps nowadays, don't we? So the keto camp is a massive one at the minute, and the guys just absolutely swear by it, and that's fine. You know, if you enjoy a high fat, high protein diet, brilliant. Um, is it this golden nugget that's going to help you with fat loss? Probably not. Um, if you can adhere to a keto diet more than you can to a high carb diet, then brilliant, then stick to a keto diet. But it's not going to be um, some sort of magical diet that you, you jump onto and experience these amazing fat loss progressions that you've not seen before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the thing that people forget about is macro targets are there to make sure you're getting enough of something. Mm. Um, you know, like, uh, if I'm giving you a macro target for protein, it's because I'm trying to avoid um, muscle mass loss to, to you know as much as I can mm-hmm. because I don't want you eating too little that you'll start losing. Um, same with fats. I don't want you on a, such a low-fat diet that you're going to start um, kind of, I guess, playing havoc with you know your hormone levels, whether that's testosterone, estrogen, all those kinds of things. They're there, but to, to set as a minimum. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're trying to set your own macros, then the main thing you need to do is make sure that those total macros, if it's for fat loss, are putting you in a caloric deficit. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the thing you want to do is set the calories, set the protein so you're getting enough, set the fats so you're not, uh, so you're definitely getting enough, and then carbohydrates are just the remaining calories, and, and that's all there is to it. And mm-hmm. I think don't get bogged down if you're not hitting to, to the gram every single day. Um, you know, there are certainly different kinds of... Um, I guess levels of accuracy to work at yeah. and it, it scales based upon um, you know how I guess how sort of advanced you yeah. are yeah. Um, you know like someone who's very 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 lean we need to pay attention and, and in the end stages of comp prep we need to pay attention to their macros a lot more than someone who's say 50 pounds overweight trying to lose a few pounds for their you know their holiday in reality, all that person needs to do is make sure they're in a weekly caloric deficit, so not bogged down by daily intakes. 
um, and then just making sure they get enough protein that they're not going to start sacrificing muscle mass. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so I think we'll move on to the, the next one. And I just wanted to talk quickly. So it's all very well and good we talk about data and you know the research and the numbers and the hard facts about you know nutrition and how to achieve fat loss. But I definitely think there is a place for speaking about an individual's mindset or their perception of a diet and how they approach a diet. And the problem that I see quite a lot and one of the mis mistakes I see with someone um, undertaking diets and usually someone that undertakes lots of different diets and has little to no success is just their perception on, on how to approach it. And the one that I notice is um, being very exclusive of certain foods as opposed to inclusive. And you know, when you think of a diet, if you ask somebody what they think a diet is, it's the banning of foods to achieve weight loss, right? Mm -hmm. That is the immediate go-to answer. But that just automatically creates a negative connotation with the word diet. So it's something you don't wanna do, it's something that's difficult, it's something that is gonna be a hindrance to your life and not something that's actually going to improve your life. Mm -hmm. Well, I just see that as completely, it's just wrong. So if you can change your mindset and have a shift in mindset and your perception on what a diet is, because actually the, the term diet is Greek for dieta, and that means a way of life. That is what diet, that's where the word comes from. It's a way of life. And actually, it's funny, I Googled the word diet and like the first one that came up was um, the banning of foods to achieve weight loss. <laughs> it's just like, so it's, it's yeah. so bad, you know, like the, the word has such a negative connotation attached to it that it's very, it's very, you know, understandable why people do struggle with, quote unquote, dieting. Yeah. Um, and I just think if we ch if we shift our mindset and our perception on that, we can we can achieve much greater things um, in the long run. Yeah. The thing is, it's no wonder why people think like that because it's, you know, like, I mean, how many thousand, you know, books are there on on mm. diets and. Um, you know, all of them to some extent are trying to are, are usually going to be banning something, um, or something's going to be. You know, you look only got to look at uh, Weight Watchers. You got sins. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like just the that's what sells though, right? Yeah, it? just the connotation of the word that mm. something's a sin or mm. something's a, you know a cheat yeah. of a diet, and you know it's it's just not the attitude really to have. That's that's not a way of life to be restricting yourself, especially when it's things you particularly enjoy. Um, the, the one I always tend to get is if someone comes to me and they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I've decided to start losing weight and they're like, I'm cutting out bread. Uh, I've decided I'm gonna I'm gonna stop eating pasta, uh, da, 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 you know, this and that. Well, that shit tastes and, amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, do you not like bread then? And they're like, no, 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 I love it, I love it. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, maybe then we just have one slice instead of four, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and and this is it. It's it's take it's not taking the approach of including foods to actually be able to be adherent to a diet. It's taking the approach of of completely getting rid of them, mm. uh, and thus getting to the weekend and, and feeling the urge to binge on them. And this is how people give themselves. Uh, you know, a lot of times oh, I come across it. It seems like people, especially post prep, tend to to find that they start feeling almost intolerant to foods. Mm. Now, I really don't know what the kind of um, I get, I guess, mechanistic or you know, biological reason behind that is um, when they start taking them back in after their diet, they start getting kind of bad, um, 
bad experiences with these foods mm. or, or bad side effects it's like gastric issues yeah and, and it, but it tends to be from the fact that they've gone so long without having them that all of a sudden they've gone post-show rebound and they binged on these foods mm. and that binge has come from the fact that it's been such an ex, like exclusion based diet yeah you know and uh, and it's obviously like where we put you know you've got these short time frames on a on a diet um of eight weeks you know does that sound like a way of life no, you know we know that you need to to give yourself something to work towards but it has to be based on an inclusion um style yeah. of, of dieting not not being you know exclusive of foods yeah i mean if you if you follow a really rigid kind of fixed meal plan for any prolonged period of time whether that's for a photo shoot for a competition or if it's just for general fat loss and you're following this strict regime of foods that you can and can't eat you're going to build up this huge list of foods that you just cannot wait to demolish the second the diet is over and that's what yo-yo dieting is you know you restrict you come to the end and now it's this freedom effect of i'm just going to eat whatever the hell i want and i'm going to eat you know in masses that are just not sensible at all so the point is is if you were inclusive in your diet and you you kept the foods that you enjoy in throughout the whole process you know obviously to to a certain extent you know you you can't get away with eating bread for every single meal on a competition prep diet one because satiety would be an issue you know you're just not going to be getting enough food volume to keep you satisfied um but if you did include bread in your diet in a competition prep on a weekly basis you wouldn't have this sudden urge at the end of your dieting phase to just go absolutely crazy and eat four loaves of king's mill yeah it's like the um don't push the red button mentality mm. in there it's yeah. like the first thing you want to do is i want to push that button <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean that loaf of bread is staring at me <laughs> that's all i want yeah and uh it's yeah we what's just... the weirdest craving you ever had on prep weirdest craving I know what prep. mine is and that's you, why I ask do you know what mine was and it's, it's fucking boring it was uh, I did a prep um, quite a while ago and there was no oats in the prep and honestly <laughs> mate, I, I was absolutely gagging for a bowl of porridge <laughs> how bad is that that's yeah. like that is like bro physique prep yeah that, my, I think my last my last prep for the WBFF show I really, really crave two original glazed Krispy Kreme donuts, yeah. um, crispy bacon, and then just like those bacon slices just sandwiched in between the donuts and then made into like a bit of a waffle. Oh, mate. How good does that sound yeah. even now? <laughs> I, I swear I swear that was um, Shannon's influence. Probably she, she the brought sweet in, and like, salty. The, the, yeah, the sweet and salty. Yeah, yeah definitely. To be fair, it's probably some subconscious issues. Yeah. Going on there. Well, I don't think that's a weird one. I think that's like perfectly reasonable. I think weird is to be craving oats. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something wrong with that diet. Yeah. Plan. Yeah. yeah. But, but no, oats is life. <laughs> oats is life. Um, so we've probably got one more that we could touch on um, with regards to you know common fat loss mistakes that we see. Um, and we could talk about uh, just throwing kind of everything into a prep early on and what we mean by that is just making really drastic changes to your would it be your caloric intake or your calorie expenditure um, just from seeing you know really short-term weight loss plateaus so you might be stepping on the scales on a daily basis to take your, your weekly average of, of weight get to the end of your week and see no moving weight and you might even see a slight increase um, and you'll be very tempted at that point to, to make sudden changes to your caloric intake or how much cardio you're doing and we just like to talk about how that 
could potentially be a massive detriment to you. Yeah, 100%. Um, this is something that I've I started implementing into um, not only my own, but my, my clients' uh, kind of preps for things a little bit more lately. Um, and, and that's actually to sometimes, sometimes just wait for fat loss to happen. It sounds mm-hmm. like a weird concept, but I mean, I can see without a shadow of a doubt when someone is dropping in, even if the mm-hmm. scales aren't telling them that. And we know that you know dieting is is obviously a big stress to the body. What does stress incur? Incurs water retention. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're not seeing those scales go down, but you're noticing our oh, clothes are fitting differently, um, that you know people have noticed that you're you're dropping in. You just feel like you're dropping in. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Usually it's just a case of water retention is masking that fat loss. So lately I've been sometimes waiting it out, you know, close to three to four weeks before yeah. making a change. And, and this is a difficult thing for a lot of people to do because it does require patience, you know what I mean? Like, we all want it now. Especially as a coach, like, but how satisfying as a coach is it when, you know, you've got an athlete who comes to you and says, look, I'm really concerned that my weight isn't coming down and you're just telling them, please just wait out, please yeah. just wait out, relax, trust the process. And then when that, and it's usually a big drop, right, when it comes. Yeah, yeah, well, like, this week was a good example. So a girl I'm prepping in for a bikini show, um, she... Uh, she hadn't dropped for, for two weeks and uh, you know I could see that she was kind of worrying really yeah and I, I could see that she was kind of waiting for me to you know either add in some cardio or I'll cut your carbs yeah that's <laughs> it or yeah drop, drop them carbs out and stuff and uh, and I, you know I just knew I could see it every session she was coming in I was like you're looking leaner I know, I know that weight mm. is coming down and then this week all of a sudden you know get a text in the morning and all of a sudden the weight's dropped by two three pounds Damn. And, and there it is. And, and now I'm just, you know, I'm saying, aren't you glad we didn't chop calories? Yeah. You know, why why diet down on less calories than we need to? And it's that it's that risk versus reward factor. Mm-hmm. And I know kind of in my next, my next prep, if my next prep for something needs to be a year, I'll let it be a year yeah. because I don't want to be dropping calories below what I need to be. That's right, yeah. In you know chasing fat loss when in reality i all i you know all i needed to be was a little bit more patient mm-hmm. hold on to some extra muscle mass and just wait for that for that drop to occur in now i'm not saying if you're going months and months and months without seeing anything and you're being perfectly adherent yeah there's that, got to be a that, line that, somewhere yeah, yeah but but definitely if you're if you're noticing you know in in the mirror and in photos and you know in your clothing that you're dropping but the scales aren't don't don't use that as an excuse to jump in and make a, a bunch of dramatic changes because yeah. you know there's much more to seeing progress and and tracking progress than just scale weight. Mm-hmm. And um, it was funny. There was, a, there was a, a post this morning. I saw a few people talking about with um, a, a grenade fit eight guy, and um, he's noticed all his measurements are coming down. Um, he he's kind of feeling you know s- smaller in his clothes. Clothes yeah. are fitting looser but he's not seen the scales budget. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people saying, no, 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 you're in, if you're in a calorie deficit, those scales have to be coming down. No, it's not true. And this isn't true. Like, no. people forget that's, that weight isn't just body tissue. It's, it's so subje- subjected to so many different factors, right? This is it. I mean, the guy all of a sudden has just gone from a, a, a diet very, very low in volume, very high in calories, to a diet very high in volume and, and in a reduced calorie intake mm. so he all of a sudden he's got more food in his gut he might be weighing at a different time to previous mm-hmm. he's now in that kind of stressful position of he's looking at the scales and waiting for them to come down that and itself. he's that's it he's yeah. stressing himself out and mm. just just see it all the time people like 
stressing over the scales and then they'll go away and typically what they'll do and, and this is where that kind of uh, refeed that people think yeah. has, has kind of come into is where someone will go oh fuck it I'm just getting off this diet and they'll go and smash back a pizza and they'll chill out maybe have a couple of drinks next morning they'll wake up and they've just dropped a ton of water weight yeah. they go shit I look amazing like yeah. I've tightened up you know what I mean like oh refeed and my metabolism's gone through the roof kickstarted it yeah well. kickstarted it that's it yeah you know set it set it back in motion and, and in reality they've just dropped a ton of water from chilling out Yeah. Um, and I know Lyle McDonald goes into a lot of this and you know Lyle McDonald's kind of the, the guru when it comes to fat loss mm. um, and uh you know, he he talks about it and he calls it the uh, the whoosh effect. The whooshing effect. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and it's just that that drop in water weight. So sometimes, in reality, if someone's in a deficit and you can see them dropping in, all they need is a few days, if anything, perhaps away from the diet. Yeah. And obviously, people worry about that because it comes into that patience thing. It's like, mm. oh shit, it's another week. You know, uh, that I've got to hold on because you're about to take my calories up. When in reality, I know that that few days of chilling out is going to actually help them drop in. Yeah. It, it has a huge knock-on effect as well. When you do stick it out and you do see these pl plateaus through and you, you know you, you stay adherent to your, your calorie and your macro goals, so not dropping food. And when that whooshing effect comes, it's like flicking a switch because now you've got the buy-in, right? So you know that sticking to your calories has worked and your stress levels just drop dramatically because it's like, oh, thank God. I've I've dropped weight. It's worked. Yeah, and then it's like a knock-on effect. It just keeps coming, keeps coming and coming yeah. and coming. And now you've got that faith in the process. It will just keep coming until you do reach a, a genuine plateau, and it happens too. But more often than not, if you're being coached by somebody and they're they're good at what they do, then just please trust in the process. Don't do anything behind your coach's back with regards to dropping Drop calories yeah. or especially not refeeding. <laughs> because you're gonna go for this washing effect, don't do that either, that's yeah. just as bad if not worse. Um, Wait but, for them to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, but it really does have a massive knock-on effect and stress plays a huge role on scale weight. So, you know, just trust the process, um, listen to your coach or, or listen to what you know to be true and there, there, there does have to be a cut-off point, but it definitely isn't one week's wait stall, or yeah. maybe not even two weeks' wait stall, to be mm. honest with you. This, and, sorry, and that's, sorry that's where, and I was gonna say, that's where the kind of, the length of prep comes back into play as well. So the first point that we talked about, um, the longer that you have to, to get ready for whatever it is you're getting ready for, the more this kind of stuff becomes less stressful, mm. and the more, the easier you drop, because there is no, I need to be 20 pounds lighter in 12 weeks. That just yeah. isn't the situation that you're gonna be put in. So it kind of really does revert back to that first point that we spoke about, and that can be a massive key role in, in how quickly and how well you drop. Yeah, I guess as well, so um, seeing as we're talking about patience, it kind of actually, I've just thought of another point really, is people's expectations when it comes to things. Um, so generally, I tend to find a lot that people uh, you know have these hugely heightened expectations about what they should be achieving uh, in terms of you know weight off the scales each mm -hmm. week um, you know sometimes you'll get someone to come to you and they'll go oh, I'm really you know I'm, I'm just unhappy the weight loss seems to have slowed and, and I'm like how much have you lost and they've lost two pounds <laughs> you know that's brilliant yeah and and uh, I don't I think it it comes from obviously the fact that 
you know we do see these transformations all the time and, and obviously mm-hmm. we're guilty of it ourselves of you know you, you're going to post transformations that genuine, genuinely do blow you away and mm-hmm. someone may drop in quicker than you've been expecting mm-hmm. and people will obviously compare that to their own results so mm-hmm. it might be worthwhile us talking about kind of realistic expectations for um, I guess weekly weekly drops in weight and perhaps monthly drops in weight as we're talking you know much not just in this kind of microcosm we're talking over a, a, a much bigger time frame really mm. how you should be looking at things so what would your recommendations be mate for sort of so I'm for a, a, a comfortable kind of weight loss I'll be looking at sort of 0.5 to 1% max body weight drop per week so 1% so that's really not a great deal so if you're a 200 pound male you're looking at dropping two pounds maximum per week and that's the kind of upper end of what I would look to lose any more than that and the caloric deficit probably a bit too high um, it's yeah. going to get difficult early we might be looking at some atrophy there as well so um, yeah, yeah 0.5 to 1% is a kind of good guideline I think I think it's because that first week everyone obviously sees a big drop in water retention food volume coming food down. volume yeah they're, they're losing mu- they, you know, carbs from the muscle as well and mm-hmm. they see sort of 5 pounds and they think and oh, they, they expect that's going to happen yeah. the whole process yeah right. they think right I've got 20 pounds to lose boom I'm going to be done in 4 weeks yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, and it, that kind of almost sets you up for that heightened expectation to start with and then leaves you feeling a bit kind of um, I guess downbeat and afterwards because all of a sudden it just starts becoming less and less and less mm. um, and and also it does scale with you know how much body fat are you carrying um, so sometimes you'll get you know someone who's say perhaps you know you might get a, a, a small female who's pretty lean to start with and in reality you know she needs to be losing you know 0.2 to 0.4 something like that yeah. pounds a week yeah tiny you know it's going to be barely measurable on the scale but mm. she's got such a small pool of body fat to pull from that in reality if her calorie deficit's any bigger than that she's dropping any quicker yeah. we're losing we're losing the tissue that she spent time building yeah you know and likewise someone who's say 350 pounds and has got a lot of excess body fat to lose then then yeah you know they can drop one to 1.5 percent max maybe at the higher end you know mm. so they can drop three to four pounds a week and we know that well they've got so much body fat to pull from they really don't need to start yeah. dipping into muscle tissue it's mm. you know and and this is it it's got you've got to look at yourself where are you on that scale and you've got to be honest with yourself as well um because some people think they're far leaner than they actually are yeah and then some people don't and, and it actually usually happens the other way around is sometimes you get someone come to you especially as we prep a lot of physique competitors they'll come to you and they'll go oh mate I'm just you know I'm, I'm carrying all this and you're looking at me you're like <laughs> You've got, what are you carrying I'm a sucker for that you know I yeah. do that quite a lot when I'm prepping yeah. like, I'll go to my coach whoever might be coaching me it was Jay for the last the last show and I was like Jay man I just like I, I'm happy to do this and do that because I'm just not going to be in in time he's looking at me like mate you got like fucking shredded glutes yeah you're like five weeks out you know you just chill out and you get such a warped perception on yourself um but that's obviously not the issue that we're talking about here. It's usually the other end of the spectrum. And if you've got you know, a male who's 40 pounds overweight, you can have bigger drops than the, the guideline of 0.5 to, to 1% drops a week. And, and it's not gonna to be too much of an issue. You're carrying that excess body fat. And so that's, that's not gonna be a problem at all. And just to touch briefly on what you were saying there, Adam, with um, females and not having much of, not much to pull from, um, Lyle McDonald talks quite a lot about you know 
the preps for for females and what it should consist of and he talks highly of regular diet breaks like really mm. really regular diet breaks and we're not talking 24-hour refeeds we're talking sometimes up to five days seven days um, two weeks even yeah sometimes. two weeks so and and again going back to the initial point of um, how long a prep should be if you're a female in particular a small female with not much muscle mass you really really need to um, have a serious think about if a, a physique competition or a bikini competition is something that you want to do there can be massive massive repercussions for uh, you know massively reducing caloric intake over a prolonged period of time with your hormonal responses and estrogen levels and all the rest of it it can get really really nasty so diet breaks are something that are really really important for female physique athletes and if you if you have a, a coach then you need to ask your coach or if you're looking for one what their stance is on on diet breaks because they're hugely important for females so again it goes back to that whole subjective um, issue that we have it's going to be different for everybody mm. so um, obviously speaking about diet breaks there just so everyone's quite clear on Molly do you want to um, kind of explain what a diet break would be especially if we're looking at say from a, a weekly basis yeah so a diet break um, essentially is a planned that's that's the most important part to know is it's a planned period of time where the the individual will eat back at usually maintenance or just above maintenance calories um, and that just allows for some hormonal adapt adaptations in things like ghrelin leptin levels so these are all kind of like our hunger signals um, and it just allows us to regulate and get to some sort of probably not homeostasis for that period of time but definitely allows us to to kind of regulate and to um, to, to have a successful dieting phase mm -hmm. without causing too many um, issues in the aftermath of a diet so yeah. they're really really important especially with females I think as well you know you've got to look into that as we spoke about water retention from relaxing a little mm -hmm. bit um, and do you know what? It's, it a lot goes for just being fucking normal for a yeah, week. Definitely. Like Having being able, life. yeah. Like uh, it, you know, it, no one's gonna deny it. Like being in a calorie deficit sucks. Mm. You know, if it didn't suck, we were, we wouldn't be very good at being humans because <laughs> we wouldn't have that drive to eat, yeah. and we'd all just starve to death. So you know, it's at the end of the day, it is gonna suck. And that week planned in to to go take calories back up to maintenance gives you that opportunity to be normal again to go out and socialize a little bit you know perhaps to be able to have a, an actual meal out god forbid during a prep um you know and and just to feel like you've got some energy in your training sessions again i typically factor them in every kind of six to ten weeks um for my athletes um generally they'll be factored in more regularly the leaner someone is mm. um some people you know it, someone just in a general fat loss phase who's not prepping for stage they might not need one for, for a much longer period of time, but certainly I, I will still put them in for them. Yeah. Um, but this goes back into that patience things because the last thing people want to do is they're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to sacrifice another week yeah. of, of, of dieting. And, you know, it's got to be at the end of the day for the greater good long term. You know, you've got to actually look at it as it is uh, a necessary evil. Um, and it's funny that, you, you know, you can put it as a necessary evil to someone when you're actually telling them to take their yeah, calories know, right? up, but, you this, know? but this is where we fall short um, in this kind of this bodybuilding mentality that we see quite a lot you know the black and white pictures the grind the fasted cardio the 12 week prep like you tell one of those guys to take a week off dieting and eat at maintenance calories they'll tell you to fuck off like yeah, yeah. it's just not going to happen so 
we just need to shift our mindset and know that there's no hard and fast rules with how long a prep should be, how difficult a prep should be. Like, just because you're not struggling every second of every day does not mean that you're not doing it right. Mm. You know, if anything, it's a very outcome-based sport in that do you get in condition, do you retain as much muscle mass as possible? Like, yes or no. But at the same time, like, that's a very short way short-sighted way of looking at it the outcome because we're on stage for an hour but the whole process leading up to that should dictate whether the prep was successful or not mm. did you enjoy it was it sustainable is it going to make you binge your head off at the end of it like we need to be far more focused on the process as we are on the outcome anyone can get shredded like anyone can but it's who can get shredded without being fucked at the end of it mm. and yeah. that should that should be what we focus on you see it plenty of times, guys get in absolute crazy shape and, you know, win shows and then never compete again because mm. their their prep has been so brutal. Yeah. And it's like, do you really, does that really sound good? Does that really sound like something you want to do? Um, and so the success of a prep shouldn't be how brutal it was. It should be how 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 much you you know are looking forward to going to into your next one yeah you know definitely um and and i know we've spoken quite a bit about prep um but obviously as we are both prep coaches as well that was always going to be a factor yeah um but certainly you know all of these things can be um kind of relayed and and transferred over when it comes to just just you know general, general fat that's loss. it yeah yeah, yeah it definitely. still needs to be sustainable like the big saying is if you can't see yourself doing it a year from now is it going to work probably not mm -hmm. so the same principles apply. Like you don't have to go hard and fast and cut every single thing out of your diet that you enjoy because it just isn't sustainable. Um, so whether you're prepping for a show or your general fat loss client, just be, you know, make really logical decisions on what it is that you're doing. Mm. If it doesn't feel right at the beginning and you feel like it's gonna be hard, then it's not gonna work. Yeah. yeah. I think this has given a, it's given me a good, well, it's given us a good um, kind of topic for a future podcast. And I think that would be into actual kind of um, like short term, quite, quite extreme approaches to dieting and when perhaps they may have a place for some certain individuals and uh, kind of what you would need to consider around that. And also, you know, in reality, when it doesn't have a place, which is yeah. obviously more often than not for, you know, more people than not, um, yeah. but definitely a worthwhile worthwhile topic for the future so definitely look out for that one as well yeah brilliant well i think we've spoken enough today about some of the common uh, mistakes that we see with guys going on their guys and girls going on their fat loss journeys um we will be doing another podcast we are yet to discuss what that will be on and we're probably going to put a post up on our social medias which we will link in the description below uh with a q a uh, kind of ask of you guys so you let us know if you have any questions that you'd like us to cover on the next podcast and we're we're going to leave a little segment at the end of that to, to go over your topics cool. so thanks very much for listening guys cheers all bye thanks for listening to team no calves radio remember plantar flexion dorsiflexion progressive overload and boom anything is possible